I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season four, episode one, Resurrection. The smell of gunfire lingered in the air. The storm had passed. Black clouds, heavy with wind and water, pushed east, trailing rain like a dirty bridal veil dragging in the muddy grass. Mag stood on a shipping container and surveyed the area where the battle had taken place. It was at the rear of the distribution center complex where the rows of metal buildings terminated at a weathered eight-foot chain-link fence. When the storm passed, the smoke and haze settled into the low areas around the buildings and barricades. Something inside one of the adjacent buildings had caught and smoke was rising out of the vent pipes. Could be bad if not addressed. Mags made a mental note to get a fire control team on that immediately before it spread. They had lost enough on this day. She heard the moans of the wounded and dying. For all his bravado, the king didn't put much effort into retrieving his stricken men. They were abandoned by their comrades, left to fend for themselves in their suffering. And there were bodies. The dead crumpled in the wet grass where they had fallen. It reminded Mags of those grainy, black-and-white photographs of Gettysburg with Pickett's men strewn on the smoking ground in front of the bloody angle on Cemetery Ridge. The king had tried to flank them. She hadn't been surprised. That's what she would have done. The defenders had been ready, and thank God they had held. A group of survivors clustered around one of the wounded, desperately trying to help. Even though she was exhausted, Mags gave orders quickly now, loudly and without emotion. Mike sent a team to put out that fire and another to check all the bodies. Make sure none of the king's men are playing possum. Move the wounded inside. Leave the dead for now. And, for God's sake, get enough of your people out into the picket positions to keep watch. Let's not get surprised by another attack. Janet yelled up at her from below. Have you seen the old man? 
No, I haven't, Mags responded. But I need you to pick a couple good scouts and track the king. Don't engage, but if they make a move to double back, we need to know as soon as possible. Janet hesitated, but acquiesced. She ran off shouting. For all intents and purposes, the battle for the D.C. was over when the king was critically wounded by the old man. As the old cuss had predicted, with their leader disabled, the army of thugs lost its momentum, disengaged, and retreated. Mags had planned and her team had executed a tenacious tactical defense. They had blunted the larger, more heavily armed force. But it could have gone either way. Even the best-conceived battle plans seldom survive contact with the enemy. The outcome, instead, often hinges on chance and little factors that resist prediction. Like individual acts of bravery or recklessness at the precise moment when they can do the most damage or the most good. Or information about enemy movements being fortuitously available, miraculously at a critical time of need. Or a good guess. Or a change in the weather. Or a passing cloud obscuring a general's line of sight for just a moment. The proverbial butterfly's wing beat. Who knows why, but the intervention of a chaotic and indifferent universe often tips the scales. In this battle, the boomers from the zoo showing up to bolster the defense had certainly helped to tip the balance in the D.C.'s favor. But it was the old man's personal mission to kill the king that was the deciding act, the one that made a difference. Without the malevolent energy and threats of the king, his army had no stomach for fighting. When the smoke cleared, the D.C. defenders emerged from their holes and assessed the butcher's bill. It was not insignificant. Nearly thirty of the king's army were killed. Another dozen were wounded or captured. The defenders fared better, but Mags lost people too. Colonel Artie took a round to the head and died the way he had lived, brandishing his forty-five and yelling insults at the enemy. Some buildings were damaged, and most of their ammunition was depleted. If the king's army came again, the defenders would be hard-pressed to hold them back. Mags wondered... Was this to be the new truth of battle in the apocalypse? When they ran out of ammo, would they continue to fight? Einstein had famously, if not apocryphally, been quoted. I know not with what weapons World War Three will be fought, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. The virus had done the work of World War Three 
and even with so few of them left, they still fought. Humans, nothing ever changed. Mag sent skirmishers to follow the king's army to make sure that his retreat was not a feint. They dealt with the wounded and piled up the dead with the rest of the bones. More bones for the pile. Humanity's legacy. Zane found the old man when he came down from his observation post on the hill overlooking the D.C. The old man was unconscious and bleeding out in the dirt, under a tree, guarded by the big dog. Two weeks had passed, and the old man still had not regained consciousness. They took him to the college infirmary, where Dr. Giorgio worked tirelessly to save his life. One of the boomers had been prescient enough to suggest they all donate blood before the action started. With the virus endemic, Dr. P had worried about using the donated blood, but the old man would surely die without it. In the end, it was another decision that the apocalypse made for them. Certain death versus a chance to live. Dr. P rolled the dice and kept the old man alive for now. But they did not know if he would live or die. Two weeks he lay on the verge in that thin place between life and death. The old man was unaware of the medical efforts of the waking world. He lay in his hospital bed and dreamed. The reflection of the rising sun shimmered warmly on the placid water of Round Cove. It would get warm later, after the sun burned off the morning mist. But, for now, the breeze off the ocean was cool and comforting. He sipped a fresh cup of coffee and felt sanguine. Was there anything better than the warm comfort of that first cup of coffee in the morning, especially when everything in the world was in balance and you had time to enjoy it? The old man was a young man in this dream. He watched as his young wife swayed and twirled, bare feet digging into the wet sand, she danced like some summer hippie, but for her it was an innocent expression of joy. She was the very picture of happiness and youth. Through the sheer gauze of her sundress, he could see the outline of her body. The four-month baby bulge somehow made her glow even more beautiful. Summer freckles had emerged on her sun-browned cheeks as she stopped to pout at him and beckoned him to join her in her morning celebration. He scowled in return, but in a familiar and loving way. They had managed to steal their first vacation. 
He was in his residency, doing well. He thrived on the long days and undeniable pressure of the work, because it wasn't work for him. It was his calling, and now this beautiful, fecund heathen goddess would give them a son. Life was good for him. His path was clear. Everything was set. He put down his coffee mug in the sand, pushed himself up and out of his beast chair, kicked off his sandals, and joined her in a laughing and loving embrace. He was a master of life. They danced, holding each other, feeling a sea breeze laden with salt. She separated and took a step back to look at him, to appraise him. She smiled, her face highlighted from behind by orange rays of dawn's gentle sun. For a long moment they stood like that, holding hands and smiling into each other's eyes. Her expression became curious. She released his hands and turned to the calm water of the bay. It was a safe, sheltered place. Bright white boats bobbed at their moorings. The ocean gently lapped the beach. She walked into the water, into the sun. She looked back and smiled at him as she dissolved into the sunrise. He wanted to yell at her to come back, come back to his embrace, but he could not. She faded out of existence like celluloid film burning in a stuck movie projector. He fought to hold the moment. He fought to follow his young wife into the calm, cool water and heavenly glow of that perfect dawn. He fought to stay with her in that safe and happy place, in that state, but he could not. The old man opened his eyes and stared up at the flicker of a fluorescent light. Bill the dog lifted his head and gave a small bark at Paul, who was dozing in a chair next to the bed. Damn, the old man whispered hoarsely. I'm not dead. Well, that's a fine thank you, Paul said in response, leaning in towards the old man's bed and smiling. Welcome back to the world, you cranky old cuss. The old man looked at Paul and tried to orient himself into the harsh light of reality. I was having a dream about your mother. Paul's smile slackened. He became sober. She was young and beautiful, the old man continued. We were so happy. We had our whole lives before us. There was a moment of silence in the room as the old man relived his dream. I know. Hi, Mr. Two Pops. How do you feel? Half dead. Where the hell am I? You're in the infirmary at the campus. You were shot. You lost a lot of blood, and it was touch and go for a while. The doc did an amazing job stitching you up. It looks like it might just pull through. Paul considered his father, who was weak and pale in the hospital bed. I guess you're too tough to die. 
Too ornery and mean is what you want to say. The old man scowled and squinted at him. Well, maybe it's not your time. Maybe you've got things left to do here. The old man tried to sit up and felt a burning pain in his chest and shoulder. He looked down to see it was wrapped tightly in a medical dressing and tape. Christ! He gave up and flopped back into the pillow. So, did we win? What happened to the king? Did I kill the bastard? We don't think you killed him, but he and his men are gone. They retreated north of the river. Mag stopped them and gave them a pretty good bloody nose. They're no longer an immediate threat. Paul looked thoughtful. A lot has happened since... since the battle. What do you mean? How long have I been here? What's going on? The old man sensed there was something Paul wasn't telling him. You've been laid up a couple of weeks. Like I said, it was touch and go for a while. We thought we lost you. You were lucky. The dog dragged you out and Zane was able to get to you before it was too late. The old man considered this information and concluded, I was ready to go. I know, Pop, but like I said, maybe it's not your time. I thought I saw angels and helicopters. I don't know about angels, but you did see helicopters. We've made contact with some other survivors from up around Knoxville, some sort of government people. Government? I guess. Paul shrugged. We haven't had much interaction yet. They're sending representatives down for a meeting, and then we'll know more. It was the old man's turn to look thoughtful. The government, he ruminated, probably looking for back taxes. I'll let everyone know you're back with us. I'm sure they'll be happy. Paul asked, preparing to leave. Can I get you anything else? You can get me out of this damn bed, the old man growled, shifting his weight. Sorry, but the dog says you need to stay put for a while. Paul tried to sound comforting. I'm the doctor here. Get Penna Giorgio. Tell him he'd better have his malpractice insurance up to date. Okay, Pop, I'll let him know. But you're not the only patient. Cut the man some slack. He did save your life. Paul smiled. Changing the subject. How about I bring you something to read to pass the time? How about a nice Bowder's ripping Harlequin romance? God, no! The old man responded, rolling his eyes in mock disgust. If anything, bring biographies, or historical fiction, or even the New Yorker. But don't try to distract me. Get that doctor over here. Don't you worry about it. Relax. Your job right now is to heal up. Paul stood to leave. I have to get back to work, but Jen will be by to check on you. Get some rest. As Paul exited, Bill the dog pushed his front paws up onto the bed and inched forward to nuzzle the old man's face. His foppish, feather-dustered tail was wagging in the air and he pushed his head insistently under the old man's arm and into an embrace. 
Hey, soldier, the old man smiled and tousled the big head with his good hand. Good to see you. How you been? In the heat of the battle, Bill had a job. He guarded the man. He alerted the team for assistance. He did his work. After the battle, Bill had been worried. He was still worried. This building smelled of chemicals and electrical equipment. It was not his place. Bill was a patient soldier. He could wait and he could watch. He would stay with his man, even in this unnatural place. But the potential loss of this new man had shaken him. He had been waiting and watching with anxiety since the old man was shot. Seeing his man sleeping on the edge of death reminded him of his previous man, the uniformed soldier in the rolling chair. Bill had stayed with him, guarded him, but he had still died. He did not want to lose the old man. The old man was his man now, his duty, and that loss would leave Bill without purpose. His purpose was to protect this man, this soldier, but as Bill lay on the cold linoleum floor of the infirmary, waiting and watching, he was anxious. Bill knew the old man was hurt. He could sense and smell the injury. He wanted to help, but there was nothing he could do. He waited and watched and was ready to help when he was called on. Now Bill could sense a change. This was good. The old man's breathing became steady. The stench of illness and Injury was fading. The heat of a minor infection was quenched. Bill could sense that the old man's body was struggling less and resting more. Bill signaled to the team with wags of his tail. Bill was a good communicator. If only they would pay attention. And now the man was awake. Still injured, he could tell. But awake, Bill had ministered to a broken soldier before, and he would do it again now. Bill soothed. Bill nuzzled. Bill wagged his tail. Bill was happy. He would share comfort and strength and joy. This was also his job and his duty when he was with his man. As the old man tousled his head, Bill signaled that he was there and ready to work. Whatever came to pass, he would watch over this man and keep him safe. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my survivor friends, and we are back. Let's talk about binge listening and having to wait for episodes. Did you miss me? Did you miss the narrative? I know, I know. You want more. You want it now. You want closure. And I got to tell you, I am right there with you. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And for stories, I prefer to binge listen. I understand that when you binge listen to a story, it can be a much better user experience. It's much more immersive. And it lets you get to know the characters and it lets you get invested. And when there's too much time between episodes, you lose that investment. Having to wait means you have to resync when you finally do re-engage. And there's a technical term for this. It's called switching cost. And it's why multitasking seldom works. But that's another story. Don't get me started on personal efficiency and getting things done. That will be a long conversation. Most of the commercial shows, they pre-write and they pre-produce the entire season before they release anything. And I guess that's that way they avoid the risk of the writer getting sick or the producer needing a, you know, short stint in rehab or the main voice actor being struck by a meteorite. But as consumers, I know people who won't start a season of a new show until all the episodes are up. And I also know that if the producers are too slow to get a new episode up or take too long between seasons, you know, they start to lose that audience. Uh, so in the end, it, it sort of creates this batch process. Shows get produced in batch and they get consumed in batch. So in summary, <laughs> I totally understand you having to wait is a bummer. People are busy. Life moves fast. It's easy to let a tardy piece of content fade from must-see to, oh yeah, I remember, I used to listen to that. And if you are sick of waiting, did you know that you can subscribe on Acast and you get the podcast a week earlier than everybody else? Just saying, just saying. Welcome to Season 4. The plan is the same as previous seasons. We will push through an episode every two weeks. We will have 20 episodes in the season. We will have five seasons. Based on this starting date of right around now, which I believe is a few weeks earlier than I did last year, based on that, we will be wrapping up season four, episode 20, sometime in April of 2024. So I hope 
hope you enjoyed the listener-submitted stories. Those were great. We read those over the summer break, over the last four episodes, and that was fun. Even though it was still writing and producing, it was different, and in that way it was, in a way, regenerative for me. So I hope you had a good experience with that. I've got an update on my book progress for you. So I had this season three, the one we just finished. I had that cleaned up over the summer. So now I, now I have three books <laughs> of a five-book apocalypse series in hand, three manuscripts. And the big scary news is that I am about to sign on the dotted line to do something with those three manuscripts. And I have been talking to developmental editors. I chose one, and I'm going to make a big push to bring the After the Apocalypse to a published book form, right? And I have always planned to do this, but I hit the wall with the book process because I didn't want to release sort of a word-for-word, same thing as the show. I wanted them to be higher quality and flesh them out. You know, for the book form, I wanted them to be derivative, but also be standalone, unique, and high-quality content pieces in themselves, something differentiated. And that's about where I got stuck and I gave up on it. But over the summer, I thought about it some more and decided to get some help. And in a way, I'm hiring a coach, right? That's what a developmental editor does, is it reads your manuscript or manuscripts, and they suggest changes to the structure, characters, plot, that sort of thing. So more than just moving commas around and correcting my uh, my spelling. So stay stay tuned for more exciting updates from the Struggling Author Chronicles as we move through the season. Let's talk a little bit about likes, reviews, and shares, because it's a new season, my friends. Time for you, my lazy listeners, to get up off of your flaccid gluteus maximi and give me some fresh likes and reviews and shares. You know, we're 100% word of mouth, so I need you. Yes, you. Don't try to hide behind that potted plant. I see you. You. Hit the button to like the podcast on whatever app you're using. And while you're at it, you know, write two good sentences. That's all a review is. Two good sentences. Couple exclamation points. It's easy. Okay, okay. One good sentence. I'll meet you halfway. Hemingway always said his whole life, his whole writing experience was to write one true sentence. One true sentence. So write that one sentence into the review or the comments box in your app. Something like, this podcast is better than a jalapeno enema. Or, the writer is not only good looking, but sexy as heck. The algorithms don't care what you write. They just want you to write it. We need that algorithmic karma. Karma. Now what has Chris been reading? Well, besides The Stars My Destination, which we reviewed with Steve last time, I also read Choosing to Run, a memoir by Olympian and winner of the 2018 Boston Marathon, Des Linden. And I really liked it. But let me be clear, the prose and the writing in general is non-spectacular. It's one of those sort of ghost-written books, so that tends to be fairly generic in the writing style, but the story is great. I have never personally met Des. I've met a lot of the elite runners, but I was there in 2011 at Boston, her breakout, when she 
dang near won the race. She got outkicked on Boylston Street, which is right at the end, and came in second. Well, you know, I wasn't there. I was about an hour behind her on the course. But, you know, Boston is my hometown race, and I was there on the same course on that same day. And I was there in 2018 when we had the freezing rain and the 50-mile-an-hour headwind gusts, and she won that race. The first American woman to win Boston since Lisa Larson Weidenbach in 1985, and I was not there. So yeah, I enjoyed the read because I could relate to it. Earlier in the summer, I gave myself a fun challenge to read an entire issue of Analog Magazine. What is Analog Magazine, you ask? Well, Analog has been around since the golden age of science fiction. 85 years. Yeah, it's been around for 85 years. It was originally called Astounding Stories of Super Science and was edited by Joseph Campbell, the famous Joseph Campbell. And this would have been the place that all your your classic science fiction authors got their start, like Dune or Foundation or any of those great sci-fi novels would have appeared initially as serials or stories in Astounding. So I remember reading them as a kid, and I, I think my dad may have given them to me, the analog magazines, because they also say on the cover, they say, science fact, it's part of the content, and he wanted me to be an engineer. But the joke is on him because analog is really just a bunch of science fiction stories in pulp magazine form. So whenever I see an old analog or even an Asimov science fiction magazine at the library book sale or in the rubbish bin, I pick them up. There is something enchanting about a magazine chock full of science fiction tidbits. And analog is a literal return to the pulp fiction days. And frankly, I don't know how they can afford to keep printing them, but you can still go to their website and buy 12 paper issues of analog for $24.95. But I'm sure you're bored with me always talking about how much I love science fiction short stories. But I do! (laughs) A good sci-fi story is the essence of one great idea, one compelling idea, one good idea, unencumbered by the extra pages of a novel-length effort. So the issue I read was July-August 2022. Within its pulpy covers were one novella, five novelettes, twelve short stories, two flash fictions, two poems, and one probability zero, which was a very short story. And it took me two to three weeks to work my way through them all, reading a bit almost every night. And you may say, so what? But this is a major and dangerous endeavor for me because of my neurodivergent brain needs me to finish every damn story in the magazine or forever berate myself for being an utter failure and look back with shame on the one time I didn't finish the entire magazine. So that's utter, not utter. Utters are under cows. But I persevered. I beat it. I got through all the stories, and it was quite fun and quite rewarding. There were some real gems and some nice nuggets. So my advice to you is to rescue a pile of old analog magazines from the rubbish and gather them about you in your old age for comfort. Nestle your old bones into that pile of science fiction short story pulp and then read your way out.
So let me move you towards the exit, my friends, my survivor friends. I have dithered on long enough. It's great to be working with you again. Please reach out to me if you need anything. We now have over 400 members in our Facebook group, so come over and say hi. And remember, I create a post on the website, oldmanapocalypse.com, with these after-the-show discussions with all the links from everything I talk about. And in the near future, I'm going to make it so you can subscribe to that as well so you get these words with the links in a convenient email format when the show drops. That'll be fun. I'll keep you up to date on that. Again, glad to be back with you. Looking forward to a fun and compelling season. Keep your head above water. Keep your hair under your cap. And keep surviving. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.